A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast was sponsored by Happy Mash. Happy Mash, closing the orgasm gap one sex toy at a time. Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Nasty Woman Club podcast. Those of you that are regular listeners know that every week on the show I bring on a guest and we discuss the latest news issues in the world of intersectional feminism. This week, however, I wanted to focus on one particular issue, an issue that has taken over the Australian news media this week, in particular social media, and that is in regards to Georgia Love and the incredibly racist video that she posted on Tuesday this week. Now, before I go ahead, I do want to give a trigger warning to people out there listening, in particular those from the Asian community. Some of the statements I am going to repeat are racist. So just a trigger warning there. If any of this is overwhelming for you, I do advise that you do skip ahead through some of these segments where I repeat what has been said by Georgia Love. So for those of you that don't know Georgia Love, she is a Seven News reporter based in Melbourne, and she also was The Bachelorette several years ago. She has a very big platform. However, on Tuesday morning, she posted a video on her Instagram stories that has caused a lot of controversy, rightfully so. So the video itself, what it was, it was her walking past an Asian restaurant and in the window was a cat. And in the video, she filmed the restaurant and the cat, and she wrote on the video, shop attendant or lunch, question mark, exclamation point, along with the gasping emoji and laughing emoji. Now, obviously anyone that sees this video knows that the caption is accentuating a very offensive stereotype towards the Asian community, in particular towards Asian foods, which already have such a stereotype already. So after this video was released and there was backlash, Georgia Love deleted the video and then posted an apology on her Instagram stories. The apology itself has caused a lot of controversy because although she claims she has taken accountability for the video, she does insinuate that people are mistaken to think that what she was posting was actually racist, which I have to say it's incredibly disappointing as someone that follows Georgia Love, as someone that was a fan of Georgia Love, this is incredibly disappointing, I have to say. So in her apology, she said that She meant for this to be a joke about an animal being in a restaurant at lunch service time. She claims that she meant absolutely no insinuation about the type of animal nor the type of restaurant, but she says she sees why this may come across like that and can be offensive. She also says that she sincerely apologizes for the oversight and offense that she caused, and she thanks everyone for calling her out and making her be accountable and doing and making her be accountable for her behavior. What she was insinuating is that Asian people in the restaurant were eating the cat. That was the joke. No ifs or buts around it. 
that was the joke that she was trying to say. It is a stereotype that has been around for decades and it is incredibly hurtful for the Asian community. So with this news going around about Georgia Love and the racism that was definitely there in that video, an incredible advocate by the name Alyssa Ho has been doing so much work these past 24, 48 hours educating people about how, why this video and this apology is just abhorrent. It is very controversial and very hurtful towards the Asian community. She has just been putting in so much unpaid emotional labor and that is why I wanted to use today's episode to not only speak about this issue regards to Georgia Love and the racism towards the Asian community, I also wanted to elevate Alyssa Ho and promote her platform and promote what she has said in the past about racism and also what she is saying now about the issues. So before I begin, I do highly recommend that you go on over to Alyssa Ho's Instagram page on her Instagram stories and on her Instagram grid. She has created some brilliant educational resources about racism, about stopping Asian hate. Highly recommend you giving it a read. And also, if you do have the financial means to do so, please donate to her PayPal, which is in her link, because so many people like Alyssa, they put so much energy and time into educating people and they don't get paid for it. She doesn't get paid putting all this emotional labor into this, which in itself, because she herself is part of the Asian community, is triggering for her and also could be traumatic as well. So yes, if you do have the financial means to do so, please donate to her PayPal account. I'll also be putting it in today's show notes. So anyway, what I've decided to do with today's episode, I wanted to share with you all an interview I did with Alyssa Ho from earlier this year, back in February. In this interview, she talks about her anti-racism work and the incredible issues that she educates people about using her platform. I really do hope that you learned something from this interview. This was such a joy interviewing Alyssa for this and I am still such a fan of hers. I adore her. I think she's just doing marvellous work in Australia right now. So yes, here is my February interview with the marvellous Alyssa Ho. Well, thank you so much, Lovely, for coming onto the podcast. I've been such a fan of yours for a while now, so this is really exciting for me to actually get to talk to you face-to-face. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, and the feeling is definitely mutual. Now, I have to say, though, there is someone else that has also become a star on your Instagram page, and I want to know how she has been feeling lately about this recent stardom, which is your grandmother, I adore that woman so much. How is she feeling getting all these DMs and comments from strangers saying how amazing she is? Oh, she absolutely loves it for starters. She really does. I think it's, it's taking a little bit of adjusting to her as we know, like our grandparents, they kind of just live in a different time. So for her to be like, oh my gosh, there are people on the internet who, who are telling me like they'd love me and all of these kind things. It kind of blows her away a bit, but I think she, she definitely does love it. And yeah, as much as she loves all of her grandchildren, she sees kind of, you know, the Alyssa Ho writings community as her own little families, which is really sweet. Oh, that's good. Well, yes, more content of her, please. Just like even just like your everyday when you see everyday life, when you see her, just more of her. I love her. 
it's coming I promise I'm giving the people <laughs> what they want which is grammar win content <laughs> yes 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 so before your page became what it is today which we'll go into more detail soon what for those of you that aren't following you which if you're not following Alyssa Hart make sure you do right now <laughs> But before mid-2020, your page was mainly featuring quotes and essays about love and about life. And then I think it was about July, you started to write about racism. What made you just decide to start using your platform to write about racism? Was it something that was always in your head that you just wanted to let out? To be honest, it wasn't always something that I was wanting to talk about. And I mean, I'd like to think that everything that's happened in my life has in a way happened quite naturally in the sense that I've never gone into something with a complete expectation of what it should be or how it'll turn out. So with Alyssa Ho Writings, I think I started that around 2013 and I did write a lot on love and life. And the reason for that was because I wanted to write on, I guess, the universal human experiences and emotions that we all go through. And I wanted to write things that a lot of people could find this sense of comfort, healing and hope in. And then, you know, as I grew older and I started working and then I started my own businesses, I just had less time for that passion. So mid-2020, you're right, is when I kind of found my way back to it. So at the time I had a personal Instagram account and that was very much a home for everything that was happening in my life. So, you know, behind the scenes of working, running my own businesses, um, hosting and styling and attending events. And then things changed. And I think a lot of things changed for a lot of people last year in terms of what they felt was important for them to talk about. And I became more vocal about anti-racism and very quickly, I realized that a lot of people who enjoyed the content that I was already sharing started to switch off. And this was something that they didn't want to kind of talk about or hear of. And that kind of just fueled me even more. I felt that, you know, people needed to engage in these kind of conversations. And I was just trying to understand why people didn't care as much as I did or about the things that I felt that they should care about. And yeah, in speaking about anti-racism and engaging in those conversations online, I realised that it wasn't going to be easy. So unlike much of the content that I was posting, I was suddenly being challenged and questioned, home policed, gaslit, and it was quite confronting for me. So I did have to ask myself a few times if this was something that I was going to be able to handle emotionally and mentally, because you would know kind of putting yourself out there online, you're open to so much criticism and, you know, we're open to having conversations, but I think criticism and being challenged is just something completely different. Mm. Um, so in that respect, I wouldn't say it's something that I've always intentionally wanted to talk about, but I think that kind of plays into why I'm so passionate about talking about it now, because I think I navigated through most of my life, ignoring, downplaying and just brushing off the racism that I experienced. And I think that will resonate with a lot of people of colour that we're made to feel like we're an inconvenience or we can't take a joke if we push back against racism. And that kind of speaks about how it creeps into your everyday life and it can be quite normalised and disguised as quite casual. So for me, I think I just felt the need to accept it 
and not kind of cause an issue um, rather than fighting back against it, which I think is why we are met with so much resistance because for so long, people just expect that we're going to take it and that because we've remained silent, that it makes it seemingly okay. So yeah, for me, making the decision to go back to Alyssa Ho writings, there was no clear intention to use it as a platform to talk about anti-racism, but I can't quite explain it. There was just something in me that was like, I need to do it. I, it's, it's now or never. And whether I continue to write about love and life, um, mm-hmm. I'm not too sure. Obviously, that's why a lot of people followed me in the first place. But just right now, I just feel so compelled to, to use my platform to speak about this. So, yeah. So what was then your family and friends' reaction, like those in particular that have experienced racism throughout their entire lives, as you, as you yourself have as well? What was their reaction when you told them? Because it is such a transition from, because the beautiful yeah. quotes and essays you, wo- you wrote, you can definitely, firstly, you can definitely see that reflected in your other writing about anti-racism because your writing is just so beautiful. But it is such a big contrast. What was then your reaction to, like, your family and friends? Like, were they concerned or worried since for example you were being gaslit by in particular white women like what was their initial reaction to this change yeah I think it's been overall a very mixed reaction so Mm -hmm. I've had some who are just super supportive and they think it's amazing and I've really kind of found myself through this journey and then you've got others who you know you just want to think and hope that it's coming from a good place more than anything rather than them feeling like this is something that we shouldn't talk about. Don't go causing more trouble for yourself. So I've definitely had loved ones who I guess are just hoping that I'm a little bit cautious with what I kind of say online and how I say things. And yeah, I guess it is coming from a place of them just on on the one hand, just hoping that I can handle it, you know, because they know how soft and sensitive I can be and they've seen that firsthand. So I I guess they're worried about how people on the internet, I guess, just unfiltered they can be. And they obviously had an insight into the things that people have said to me. So I think it comes more so from a place of concern and just hoping that I'm going to be okay. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's definitely been a little bit of a, a mixed response from those close to me. I think a lot of them are proud um, and a lot of them are very loving and, and they're going to support me no matter what, whether or not they agree with a lot of the things that I, I am sharing. But yeah, for the most part, I think they just want to make sure that I'm going to be able to handle everything that kind of comes my way. Yeah, because it can be a lot having all these strangers all of a sudden be DMing you and especially when it's about a topic that is so personal to you. I think the first topic that I feel like really launched your platform and has, you know, made you become very well known in a lot of media scapes is your discussion about the fox eye trend. Now, before I even found your page, I did not know anything about the fox eye trends. Like, I did notice some... I did see like some models, like in particular Bella Hadid, like they were doing that thing with their eyes. I was just like, okay, that's a bit odd. But of course, with my privilege, I never actually connected the the dots and thought that's actually really, really offensive. For those that don't know, what is the fox eye trend? What is it for people that don't know much about it? Yeah, so the fox eye trend is this makeup slash beauty trend where individuals are seeking to achieve slanted upturned arm and shaped eyes so this could be through makeup posing 
I've seen a lot of makeup artists use eye tape or like facelift tape on models um, and even going as far as cosmetic work. So for many Asians, and if we're being very specific, for East and Southeast Asians, we have that eye shape naturally. And to see non-Asians see it as just a makeup look or just a pose when we've spent all of our lives having our eyes weaponized against us, it is very disheartening and it is exceptionally triggering to see it translated into something that is just a viral trend to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And what's really weird is the fact that, as you said, it's a trend. So for then your entire culture for your looks to then just be see as a trend because with trends they become really popular but then what does that mean like say in a year's time or a couple of years time is your eyes no longer quote-unquote popular or trendy because yeah. just just yesterday i forget who it was i saw someone share the fact that on tiktok now the new latest trend is people they drawing a bit of brown underneath their eyes so it looks like they have um dark circles underneath their eyes right. yeah i've now I've seen that on a few TikTok videos and I was just thinking really like it's just crazy that you know people can just pick and choose from different cultures to make themselves seem trendy but then after they're no longer popular then what happens like you don't then have any thought towards that culture or that race at all. Yeah I think that's what it is so the part of the trend that a lot of Asians are taking issue with is the pose um, which is where people are kind of pulling the skin around their eyes towards their temples so for a lot of people who take part in the fox eye trend, that's harmless to them. But to us Asians, we we identify that with an offensive gesture that many non-Asians have done to us to humiliate, mock and harass us. So for me, it's a mirror image of a racially charged gesture. And yeah, like you said, to see it translated into this trend purely for the purpose or excuse of vanity or for the aesthetic, it is, yeah, it is very problematic. And the reason why it speaks to cultural appropriation is because, like you said, it's something that they can kind of switch on and off. So the way that we see it is that our eyes are ugly and undesirable on us, but on non-Asians, particularly white people, it's suddenly trendy and beautiful. So at the end of the day, they can wipe the makeup off and they can move their hands from their eyes and they don't need to deal with the racism or all of the cultural baggage that comes from being Asian and, you know, mm. naturally having our eye shape. Yeah, and they can change their eye shape according to whatever trend there seems to be. But yeah, you will always have that eye shape regardless of, quote-unquote, when it's trendy or not. So. Yeah. With with all these discussions happening on your page about the fox eye trend, I have definitely seen on your stories you've spoken about how people have been trying to tell you that what they're doing or what um, other people are doing isn't racist, even though they are majority of them are white people. Why is it white people are so offended if they get accused of creating the fox eyes? Like, do, do white people just have this big innate fear of being called a racist, even though technically we're like in a society that is privileged to white people so we are technically or innately racist like why is it that yeah. people get so offended yeah I mean I really wish I knew and I'm trying so hard to understand I think for me as with any circumstance where anyone's being called out for racism or cultural appropriation I think instead of 
sitting with the discomfort, which I just feel is a part of the process. Mm. A lot of people are just choosing anger, a refusal to show compassion and empathy, hatred, and often they just double down on their racism. So for them, I feel like that's so much easier than just putting their pride aside and having a really open, honest and meaningful conversation with people of colour, but as well as themselves. So, you know, instead of acknowledging and genuinely apologising and just taking accountability, I feel like for them just kind of shifting the blame and gaslighting is what they turn to. So, so I think in the context of the fox eye trend, it's also that a lot of people refuse to see what they think is just a harmless beauty trend as racism. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's problematic because you would have seen, I've spoken before that racism is racism. And I think people have a tendency to only accept something as racist if it's very openly hateful and they're very direct about it and there are racial slurs involved. But for me, racism exists in many ways and it manifests quite uniquely and it thrives off of being disguised as a non-issue. So people just saying, oh, it's not a big deal. You're looking too deep into it. And from what I've seen, Um, You would know that I've called out quite a lot of influencers and people in the beauty industry for taking part in the fox eye trend. Yes, thank you so much for doing that because that that would take a lot and I can assume you would have got a lot of interesting DMs from those influencers and their fans. Yes. A hundred percent, yes. So I just feel like we live in this time where some people just aren't willing to sacrifice their beauty and this image that they want to kind of give off to the world. Um, to do what's right. So they place more value on validation, acceptance and, you know, praise rather than just being a decent human being who's forever open to listening and learning. So, yeah, I don't know. I think quite ironically, I think white people are offended because they don't like being told what to do or what they can't do. And they actually feel that when people of colour are saying, okay, I find this offensive, that's quite insensitive, it's like, well, why are you trying to take something from me? So to have spent most of their lives living in privilege and comfort and then suddenly being told what they're doing is wrong, that's actually quite unfamiliar to them. And it's kind of like, well, how dare you have the nerve to say that to me? So I think they'll hold on to their problematic and what they see as normal behaviour as much as they can. And then as you would have seen as well, people of colour are often positioned as being sensitive, overdramatic, nasty, bully. So it kind of turns into this situation where we're portrayed as attacking and bullying them and they're the victim. Mm-hmm. Yep. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We'll be back in just a moment, but first I want to talk to you all about today's sponsor, Happy Mash. Lacking, unfulfilling, infrequent, unrewarding, lackluster. 
these were just some of your answers to my latest survey where I asked you all to describe your sex life to me in one word. And majority of respondents seem to feel unsatisfied with their sex lives. Sex shouldn't be a chore. It should be fun, playful. It should be a time where you can truly disconnect from the world and have some fun with your partner. Obviously, sometimes life gets in the way and unpredictable events can impact this, but it's important that your pleasure is still prioritized in the bedroom. I've found the best way to improve this is to incorporate sex toys during sex. Sex toys aren't just for masturbating. They can be used on yourself or your partner during intercourse. Happy Mash have a great range of sex toys that can be incorporated in the bedroom. This lady startup is dedicated to closing the orgasm gap and has easy to digest information about what sex toys to use for certain pleasure spots. So head on over to the Happy Mash website and make sure when you go to checkout, you use the code NASTYWOMAN20, that's NASTYWOMAN20, to get 20% off all toys store-wide. Happy Mash, closing the orgasm gap one sex toy at a time. And something else that you've also spoken about in regards to racism is how racism against Asians has become so normalized. And as you said earlier, like, you know, it's become normal for white people not to be held accountable for have making racist comments, have um, racist actions. What experiences have you had in regards to experiencing racism because of your race? Yeah. Um, when I started kind of looking into other Asian people's experiences with racism, one thing that stood out for me was that they would say, oh, I've experienced racism, but nothing too serious, like anyone in my face yelling at me, you know, racial slurs, any of that kind of stuff. And I feel like it's almost like they were trying to, I guess, say that any racism that they've experienced wasn't valid, even if it was something that they deemed as small. So for me, I've dealt with the real racial microaggressions and these stereotypes that people have of what I should be. So I've dealt with it from strangers as well as people who are friends. So it's comments about me being a bad driver and the only explanation for that being that I'm Asian and that's all it is. There's just this expectation that I'm Asian, I'm a bad driver, the shock horror of being at dinner and letting people know that I'm really bad at math when they just instantly assume that I should be the one to split the bill. <laughs> oh gosh, the the discomfort of just sitting there in a group setting, a very public group setting and someone just putting on an Asian accent and you know, you're just like, do I laugh? Do I call them out? If I call them out, then I'm seen as like killing the mood and just um, being sexualized by random white men when out in public. And I used to think it was such a compliment when people used to say to me, you're pretty for an Asian or, you know, you're so much cooler than all the other Asians. And, you know, I would gladly accept that. And I thought, oh, wow, look at that. And then now I look back and I'm just like, you must really think quite poorly of Asians to feel that you need to give me a compliment but degrade other Asians at the same time. So it's all of those little kind of comments in passing or things that people can easily brush off and disguise as a joke. And I think that kind of rings true for people of colour and they'll be able to relate to that as well and that 
we're expected to just accept the racism that we experience because so often it is disguised and offended as being harmless or them just having a sense of humour. And it exists in all those stereotypes and these assumptions of who we are and what we're capable of. And it's when people accuse us of not being able to take a joke or being too sensitive or needing to learn how to take a compliment and lightening up. So now I'm just at this point of questioning people as to whether they are actually funny or they can be funny or seemingly praise us without being racist or offensive. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine it would just be so frustrating all these years that like when you hear something racist you think okay do I pull this up and if I pull this up then that means it's going to probably lead to an argument or it's going to get awkward. Like if you do that that would probably then happen several times a day every day of the week and that would just be so mentally exhausting and of course then everyone would be like oh she's a bitch because she just doesn't take a joke like does your mind then have backflips because then you're thinking i really should pull them up so that then they don't continue this behavior but then at the same time i don't want to become a bitch though because i am like like you said ruining the mood or whatever yeah and we know that women of color are put in this position now where if we speak up against racism we're just automatically called a bitch Mm -hmm. um Yeah, I think it's gotten to the point where I'm just choosing my battles. So when I started speaking up about this stuff, every time I'd see something online, every time someone close to me would make some sort of comment that made me really uncomfortable, I was like, I need to say something. It's it's my job. The responsibility falls on me. And then, like you said, seeing how exhausting it honestly was, it just, yeah, I eventually was just like, okay, I'm going to have to really just be more conscious in terms of where I'm directing my emotional labor because reality is I can't get through to everyone not everyone's willing to listen and you'll be able to gauge that as time goes on who actually will be coming to the table and having a conversation with you and who's just going to relentlessly question and challenge you so yeah that's been probably one of the key pieces of advice that I've been giving to people of color which is that you can't fight every battle when it comes to racism um, because you have to look after yourself. Firstly, you are your own priority. And yeah, you just have to speak passionately about what's important to you. And you'll be able to realize soon enough who's going to listen and take on what you have to say. And I guess just who's kind of a lost cause in that respect. So then the last question I have for you is for people out there that are listening, if they themselves get caught out for being racist or perhaps wearing something or doing something that might be cultural appropriation, from your experience of dealing with like some influencers and some people that have done the bloody fox eye trend, what would you recommend? Well, how should people act? Like what should they do if this happens? Yeah, I think when people are called out for racism or cultural appropriation, the initial thought is, that's it there's no way to redeem myself it's over I'm immediately a bad person so I think sometimes that's why you see that kind of defensiveness and anger from them because they just think that everyone's out to get them but I guess what I want people to understand is that if people are trying to educate you on something and they're putting in that emotional labor especially if it is from the community who is affected by what you've said or done it's because they're hoping that you can change or they trust that you will. So my advice is just to sit in the discomfort because it's it's not meant to be a comfortable, easy process. And I think a lot of people may just expect that, but just sit in the discomfort first um, and then 
just listen to what people are saying instead of feeling like you need to defend yourself and that you need to respond. Um, make it less about you when it does come to the time where you are going to address it or apologize. Don't tone police people of color. Don't talk about how you're not racist. Don't talk about, you know, how there was no intent to offend or harm anyone because you just need to kind of reflect on the situation and the reality is that a lot of people obviously are, you know, upset and offended. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a lot to work through there, but I think a lot of it is kind of just putting your pride and ego aside and, and just knowing that you can make things right. So I think a lot of people just immediately feel like that's it. They've, they've done the wrong thing and there's no going back from that. So, yeah, I think actually addressing it rather than just staying silent is most important. So I think a lot of people just think, okay, if I don't talk about it, the issue and all of these people who are supposedly offended, they'll go away. But I think, yeah, at least acknowledging what's happened and what you've done and sincerely apologising. So not apologising because you feel that people are urging you to, um, but apologising because you actually feel that what you've done was perhaps not the best thing to have done. Um, so yeah, that's probably my advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. None, none of these like apology YouTube videos of where people are crying yeah. and want people to feel sorry for them. Like exactly. You're not apologizing. So people feel sorry for you. You're just apologizing yeah. because what you did is offensive. You do not know yeah. what people's history are, is like with that act of racism or cultural appropriation you did. And, and the thing is in the end, we're all, we're all still learning. Like no one, no one's perfect. And yeah. like, I myself have definitely in my past have done racist things, said and done things that are racist and I am learning like, like yeah. we're just, we're just all trying to become better people and it's going to take time. But the only way we can learn is to at least acknowledge the fact that we did do something wrong and that we want to like educate, educate ourselves on it. Yeah. I think a lot of people are, are just so scared now to, to do or say a lot of things because it's always like, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? What if someone's offended? And it's like, you know what? We're, we are all going, like we are all still learning. Like mm -hmm. I admit I admit all the time that I'm still learning things myself and I'm bound to get things wrong, um, even if it's not necessarily in regards to racism, but there's so many different life experiences to mine, which I may be, you know, a little bit oblivious to, or I might say things that are offensive to a certain community. So I think as long as you're open to learning, like that's the most important thing. But if you're just going through life and it's like, I'm living my life the right way, I'm not taking on any feedback, um, you know, then that, then yeah, I guess that's when you need to kind of just self-reflect a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for putting in the time to uh, talk to me today like you've given the audience such incredible useful information not just on today's episode but just on your platform as well you have just spent thank you you really you really have made a difference and you really have I think opened a lot of people's eyes into racism against Asian the Asian community that I think many of us just had no idea how much it can impact the Asian community so just honestly big big thank you Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'm hoping 
as time goes on, I'm able to speak more about the racism that Asians experience. I feel that I've been able to connect with a lot of um, a lot of people. So, yeah, it's it's really important to me to to continue talking up about things that affect us. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for listening to my February interview with Alyssa Ho. I greatly appreciate you listening to this podcast episode and educating yourself about anti-racism and why we really do need to take a stand against racism towards the Asian community. If you did learn something from Alyssa, please go onto her page and support her through her PayPal account if you have the financial means to do so. If you don't, even just sharing this episode or sharing Alyssa's page, sharing her work, messaging her and letting her know that you've learned something from her, all of that helps. And I just want to say a big thank you if you have listened to this episode. I know it can be a lot trying to unlearn our racism and to educate ourselves. So I greatly appreciate you listening to this episode. Next week, I'll have another guest into the show and we'll be talking about issues relating to intersectional feminism. And I greatly appreciate you all letting me share with you all an old interview with Alyssa Ho and allowing me to focus this episode on racism against the Asian community. I greatly appreciate you all. I'm your host, Demi Lynch. Stay nasty, everyone. This podcast was sponsored by Happy Mash. Happy Mash, closing the orgasm gap one sex toy at a time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.